Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. It's a game week. We're back. Kevin's Corner, preseason game number one, Saturday, 4 o'clock from Buffalo. I'm Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley. Across the way, it is time for another Kevin's Corner. Uh, Full transparency, we are recording this less than 90 minutes away from practice number eight on Monday. Hopefully nothing crazy happens in that practice. Chris, if uh, history is any indicator, something will happen, uh, and we'll laugh about it or cry, um, however you look at it. But four practices the Colts have had since we last spoke on the pod, so we'll go over each four of those today. We've got a good amount of Twitter questions to get to as well. I do want to do the fantasy football and the pick'em league again this year. Yeah. Um, so let's get those back up and starting. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let's Chris and I will meet with our minds and we'll figure out the fantasy league and who in that. But everybody's in the pick'em league, so um, I'll have Chris activate that and we'll 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 get that started here with the season about a month away. Uh, How's your weekend, man? It was good. Um... It's always better, as we're going to talk about here with the camp takeaways, uh, seeing Stephon Gilmore, and apparently the defense looks pretty well. Yeah. So let's jump into camp takeaways so far. Let's do that. Um, the last practice that we have not spoke about, I guess, would have been last Tuesday. So, again, four practices since then. We'll go day by day. Okay. I do want to start here, Chris, now that I think about it. Again, Saturday's the preseason opener. Let's do talk about the plan for the Colts in the preseason. Frank Reich mentions over the weekend, we've talked with Chris Boward. You guys heard the Chris Boward interview. You know, I asked him about preseason playing time. It sounds like the Colts are a little bit more open-minded to playing their starters a little bit more. I'm not expecting an exponential growth in playing time for the starters this preseason. But before you can walk, you got to crawl. And it sounds like they're willing to crawl. I like it. I'll believe it when I see it. And if you look at the three preseason games, so each of the next three Saturdays, at Buffalo, home to Detroit, home to Tampa Bay, from what Frank Reich said over the weekend, on Saturday at Buffalo, the starters could and should and will play a little bit. Again, some guys are going to hold out. Jonathan Taylor, I'm good. Running backs, I think, are a different breed in the preseason. Although Josh Jacobs, I saw in the Hall of Fame game, did have a couple of uh, series there. It sounds like in the preseason game number two against the Lions, those starters would not play because you would have gotten the the uh, work against Detroit in those joint practices, which are next Wednesday and Thursday. I think it's like the 17th and 18th are those practices at Grand Park. So it sounds like Dan Campbell and Frank Reich have agreed on, all right, let's not play the starters in the game. Let's stick more to the practice and go from there. Then the final preseason game, which will be Tampa Bay, two Saturdays from now, you'd play the starters a little bit more. Now, are you going to play it like you used to play it and play them an entire half and get them into the third quarter? No. But, you know, we had George Bremer on our morning show today, and I asked him, all right, George, five drives for Matt Ryan this preseason. Over, under. I believe he said slightly over. Probably should have remembered his answer before I brought that up. Um, But that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I would like to see an over. I, I, I've i been pretty vocal about that. 
and I get the NFL league-wide has changed largely their philosophy with, with preseason games, Chris, but I found it interesting. I was looking up Matt Ryan's preseason reps. The guy is MVP of the league in 2016. Mm-hmm. He comes back the next year, 2017, and he throws 20 balls in the preseason. 2018, he throws another 20 balls. 2019, that number jumps, and then you have the COVID year. And I think everything's kind of changed around the league since Correct. then with the preseason. But if Matt Ryan at year 10, 11, 12, at age 30, 31, 32, whatever he was back then, felt the need to have 20, 30 passes in the preseason, coming off an MVP season, to me, I look at it and think, you've got a first-year quarterback with this offense. You've got so many unproven pass catchers. You need to play him and – I, again, I would like to see at least a handful of series out of him. Um, I think another thing that we maybe haven't harped on as much, we certainly have talked about the season opening drought. Eight straight season openers, the Colts have lost. Mm-hmm. Chris, it really is a poor month of September if you want to look at it in a little big of a bigger view. This is not like the Colts lose the opener and then they win their next two or they win three of four and now they're back now they're, you know, four and one or three and two or something like that. I was looking up yesterday. In the month of September under Chris Ballard, the Colts have the fourth worst record in the NFL. Texans, Giants, and Jets, the three teams that have worst Septembers than the Colts. I think Rosie knows you don't want to be associated with the Texans, Giants, and Jets in any way, shape, or form. I was going to say you don't want to be in that club. In the NFL. No, that's not a fun club to be in in today's NFL. So what I'm getting at is expecting different results when you continue to operate in the same ways is ludicrous, and it's insanity, and it's not going to lead to those different results. So by pushing back the start times to training camp practice – by potentially playing your starters a little bit more in the preseason. All of that, I think, are steps to take of doing some things differently. And we'll see if it works out. Obviously, your schedule is pretty favorable the first two weeks. But I think it's really, really important to try and do th- these things. And, you know, Peyton Manning wanted to get hit in the preseason. You look at Andrew Luck's preseason, he was throwing 30, 40 passes in some preseason. So I get that the league has kind of altered their approach with this. And someone, yeah, someone tweeted at me earlier today, like, well, I think the slow starts to seasons are just a new quarterback year in, year out. Does that have something to do with it? Certainly. But let's not act like the defense didn't give up 30-something to Cincinnati a few years back in the opener or 30-something to a Chargers team that isn't the Chargers team now. I mean, Jacksonville scored nearly 30 in an opener a few years ago. Uh, this is a both-side-of-the-ball issue, and it needs to be corrected. So... Um, we'll see what happens on Saturday. Again, I'll believe it when I see it <laughs> with this playing time. But I would say most preseason openers, I would guess the starters barely play, if any. Now I'm starting to think, hmm, maybe Matt Ryan gets two series on Saturday in Buffalo. And obviously, if you're going to play Ryan, you got to play the O-line. You know, it's one of those things where you, you got to deal with it. Yep. Um, and I know people will say that I'm jinxing the Colts, but I'm simply stating facts. And this is a positive fact. Chris, we are seven practices in. Practice number eight is a little hour away from getting started. We'll see if anyone gets hurt today. Seven practices into camp. Shaquille Leonard, the only starter to miss one day of practice. You have had 21 of your 22 starters out there for every 
single session. You have to love that, the amount of reps those guys are getting right now. Crazy rare. Got to love it if you're a Colts fan. You talk about cohesion and chemistry and all those things. Yep. It's glorious. Um, so it's been a very healthy start to camp for the Colts. Love it so far. Want to jump into Chris Ballard's interview? Um, well, let's go back. Should we go day by day? Let's go day by day first. Let's do that. Um, we'll go day by day, and let's go back to t- Tuesday. Is that right? Because I think we taped last podcast on Monday. Yes. I think we're in this Monday routine now in training camp. Um, so that would have been day four of practice, and that was the first day in full pads. Um, I thought the defense won the day. I thought the defense has won the majority of. There's been three full pad of practices, just to be clear here. But um, they did a two minute drill to end practice, and or a two point drill, I should say, to end practice. And the defense won two of those three, so the offense had to do some suicides there. Bobby Okereke, Zaire Franklin, I think have done a really nice job this camp. It's been surprising to me to see Franklin take many more of the two linebacker personnel groupings with Leonard out, not EJ Speed as much. Yeah, uh, that's something I probably would not have expected. And I thought to myself back on this first day in full pads, Chris, I have a plea for the Colts here in 2022. Okay. Okay. Anytime the Colts are in third and three, third and two, third and one, fourth and three, fourth and two, fourth and one, or they have a goal to go situation. So first and goal from wherever, second and goal, et cetera. It is a must to have Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines on the field together. An absolute must. You get in those short yardage situations, how do you just mind bleep the defense? Yeah. That's your goal. How do you get them to move a step slow, to have a little little doubt in their head about, oh, I wonder what they're going to do here. When you put Hines and Taylor on the field together, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And when your quarterback does not have a high-level threat with his legs, you've got to, I think, improvise in those situations in some other ways. So... That's what I want to see. Listeners of this podcast will know full well we've been clamoring for more 21 and 28 on the field. We did that all last season, and that is continuing. And I feel like now it's starting to grow into, like, everyone is, like, all aboard this. But come aboard. You know, we have been we have, we have been on this boat. We've been on this train. We've got plenty of room on it. Uh, but we've been driving it for a while here, and that's what I want to see. I want to see in those critical short yardage situations that can define games. And the Colts, you know, have not been a dominant short yardage team. Uh, in recent years, despite a good offensive line, that is something that I want to see. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Yesterday, my brother, uh, my nephew, went out to training camp yesterday and got Melly Cox, Quiddy Pay, a couple different guys' um, autographs on a helmet. There we go. And as we've mentioned, when you go out there, they have different days where they do that. And he, he brought up the fact of, well, Matt Ryan's a, a shotgun quarterback, so how do you have two running I said, send him – lift your right leg you send the guy in motion you know you you may you can figure out what the defense is doing by just sending even Naheem Hines in motion and making them kind of stress out a little bit without question and again where's Hines going to line up you know Taylor's obviously been able to come out of the backfield as well um, can you do funky things with them can you motion Ryan out now Hines is taking a snap you know Hines played wide receiver at NC State there's just a lot of things you can do and when you lack Dominant personnel at wide receiver and tight end. Again, you got to make up for it in other areas, and that's something that I would like to see. Okay, day five. That was Michael Pittman and Rodney McLeod going bow to bow, kind of yep. trading punches. I thought for a fight, 
Uh, for a training camp fight, it was on the high end of training camp fight intensity. I think Michael Pittman fights Dan Campbell next week. <laughs> Do, who wins that fight? What's the movie I'm thinking of, or maybe it was real life, where the coach gets up and they're like, you leave him for me. I see Dan Campbell in the Lions locker room saying, you leave number 11 for me. D- the, Dan Campbell, I wouldn't mess with. Michael Pittman, that's probably about his fourth or fifth training camp tussle, if you will, that I've seen him. Obviously, I like it, though. Him. Yeah, I, I, I like Obviously, the New England game last year, a lot of people are like, all right, he crossed the line, he got ejected, and you know, should he have been ejected? And Kyle Duggar certainly was the lead catalyst in that. Chris, how many times, if you play the Kevin's Corner bingo card, I believe the phrase, he's not a USC pretty boy, yes. would be on the bingo card. I've said it a million times about Michael Pittman. And I mean it. Um, I also think it's years since the Colts have had a consistent big wideout, let alone someone who brings some nasty. And right. Pittman brings that. Kylan Granson had a good day last Wednesday. He needed it. Really poor spring for him. This offense needs it. He's a different-looking tight end than the other guys. Um, Ngakwe was <laughs> was pretty, pretty impressive on this day as well. Um, he just – when you go out there to Colts camp and you watch Ngakwe, I think the first thing that will pop into your head is he looks like Mathis in the Robert Mathis – frame 6'2 240 soaking wet things like that but he just plays with an edge yeah. he had a second sack of Matt Ryan on this day he rips off his helmet and starts high-fiving the defense I mean it just he's got a little bit of that um, which I think is needed the safety battle as we sit here again on August 8th I think it's the only position battle that I really believe is still up in the air now, maybe Matt Pryor will go out or Danny Pinter will go out Saturday and they'll let up two sacks and all of a sudden that opens something up or Brandon Faison will get torched. But right now, it's Matt Pryor at left tackle. It's Danny Pinter at right guard. It's Brandon Faison as your third corner. Um, safety, though, Nick Cross, Roddy McLeod, I think it's all back and forth. So that is something to continue to keep an eye on. Ashton Doolin just strings highlight after highlight. Each day, there seems to be one Doolin highlight which he's on this team. And he's not on this team just because of special teams. He's on this team because of wideout as well. Um, Day six, full pads are back on, so this is the second day in full pads. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought Buckner and Gilmore had nice days. We'll talk more about Gilmore here coming up. There's a two-minute drill to end the day. Starting offense goes three and out, sack on third down. I don't even think they moved the ball an inch. Second unit comes out there. They get one first down. Their drive ends on a sack. So it's like, oh boy, what's going to happen here? Starting offense comes back on the field. They do get in field goal range. Hot, hot rod makes from fifty. Verity makes from fifty. I don't want to act like I am some kicking expert because I am not. And now I will try to act like I'm a kicking expert with this comment. The ball just pops off Jake Verity's foot a little bit more. Okay. You know, when you were at camp last year, Chris, Yeah. when you watch Sam Ellinger throw and then you watch Jacob Eason throw back-to-back, it was very apparent, like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. you know, that is a difference. And it's like when agents have quarterbacks in the combine and alphabetically is the order they throw in. If they've got a big-arm quarterback, or if they've got a not a big-arm quarterback, they don't want to be next to the gunslingers. They hope they're at the other side of the alphabet. Because um, you just naturally see one, and then you see the next one, and you see a big difference. That is how I feel a little bit with kicker. So, again, I don't know if that's going to mean a change, but there's a bigger leg from Verity than there is from Hot Rod. This was a day that, again, I started to notice Drew Ogletree a little bit more. Mm -hmm. 
um, just continues to make some plays. And the key, I think, for any rookie is there can be flashes, Chris, but can you stack them together? Can you show that you're consistent when the crowd's not as big or the weather's a little iffy? You know, there's 16 of these days at Grand Park. They're not all the same. They're not sold out every single day like they were yesterday or they were at the night practice. But can you be dependable and reliable, especially a tight end when you've lost Jack Doyle? And I think Ogletree gives some of that. George Bremer thus brought up a great point earlier today. You know, it's a young rookie class in many ways, age-wise. But then you've got some guys like Ogletree that's 24. You know, I mean, he's... He's old. There's, <laughs> a, there's a difference. That, I mean, he's really old um, for for a rookie in the NFL. So I think that helps you out a little bit. Um, do you find a do, do you find being out there watching or talking to the players a difference between having pads on and no pads? Do you like more pads or no pads? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm more pads. I mean, I, I understand that you can't do it every day. And I guess right now, as we record this, they're seven days in. They've been three full pads. You got the ramp up period where you don't put pads on. They've been in full pads three out of the last four days, and I, I I like that trend. If I'm not mistaken, there's four practices this week. They just had one in full pads yesterday. I believe three of the four full pads. I could be wrong. It might just be two of the four, but I think three of the four might be in full pads. But yeah, I mean, I think the defense has won the full pad of days. I think they've won all three of them, frankly. And you can look at that two ways, Chris. Some will say, well, it's Matt Ryan, it's a new it's a new offense, you know, for him. Like, I totally get that. The flip side will say, well, there's no Shaquille Leonard. It is a new defense as well. You know, shouldn't they have some struggles? So, you can look at it both ways. I think in general, with all parties healthy, this defense should be better than the offense. I mean, the defense brings back so much the same personnel. Added Ngakwe, added Gilmore. Like, I think it should be better. I guess Kari Willis would be the one. You know, notable subtraction um, on that side of the ball there. Uh, okay, so then yesterday, really sloppy from the offense. And I was surprised because we haven't seen this yet. You know, they probably had half dozen drops, Chris. And if you take practice number one through six combined, there's no way they had had that amount. And they had all, you know, in in, in one day. It just was a – now, they had been off for two days, so maybe contribute some of that, but timing was off. Misplacement with – you know, the, the ball placement was a little erratic. Um, is that a timing thing? You know, Hines had a fumble. It just – just not a good day offensively. And walking out of there, I was reminded, I guess, of just two things. First, and there were a ton of culprits. Granson, Paris Campbell, Jonathan Taylor had a drop. Jelani Woods had a drop. You know, Hines had the fumble, like I said. I walked out of there thinking to myself, this is a day that would keep me up at night if I were Frank Wright and Chris Ballard. And if I saw this day get repeated multiple times, I would sit there and say, we need to go out and find somebody that's a little bit more trustworthy that I just feel better about. And that you know I've clamored for that for months now. We haven't seen it so far in camp, but we definitely saw it yesterday. The second thing I thought about was this, and this will be a season-long storyline. When you don't have freakish individual talent at wide receiver and tight end to the point of some other teams where you can lose two yards, lose two yards, and then this player makes a freak play on third and 14 and all else is cured, you've got to be so sound and so solid fundamentally. 
because you don't make up for it with this extreme athleticism. You know, the guy throwing 99 can get away with an erratic fastball or two. If the guy throwing 88 makes a mistake with that fastball, that ball's, you know, 420 going out the other way. Um, So that was something that I thought of. I thought Stephon Gilmore was outstanding yesterday. He had a pick six of Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's not throwing many interceptions at all in camp. I don't know if he's throwing one in 11-on-11, to be honest. Uh, But Gilmore jumped the route, out route to Paris Campbell, and picked it off. When you watch Gilmore, Chris, you watch a guy that's playing chess. Intellectually, between the ears, his experience, I just see a guy that can recognize routes, concepts. He's a step ahead of everybody. I don't think he would wow you in a 40-yard dash right now or in a high jump or broad jump, whatever. But I think he brings a lot to the table intellectually. Matt Ryan, I thought, had a great phrase that he used after practice saying, Stephon Gilmore is a type of corner that can place a seed of doubt in my brain. That's a high compliment for Absolutely. a quarterback to give a corner. And if you have a quarterback that you're playing that week that has a seed of doubt in where Stephon Gilmore is in the field, that is going to impact things in a big, big way. And I've said this often. I don't think Vontae Davis gets the credit he got, Chris, for that 2014 season. When the Colts made the run to the AFC Championship game, it's not like they, you know, dominated Cincinnati in the first round and, you know, put up 40-some points. It's not like they scored a bunch at Denver in the divisional round either. Vontae Davis is one of the best corners in the NFL that season, and he was tremendous in the playoff run. When you have that presence, which I think has been missing, outside corner, you know, Kenny's been a good corner, but not at that level. Xavier Rhodes had some moments a few years ago where he was yeah. really good. When you have that, it's huge. How so, how often um, I've seen some highlights of him breaking up passes with Alec Pierce, who's a rookie, and all, always the cliche of iron sharpens iron. Sure. Has he been on Alec Pierce m- more often or Michael Pittman? Yeah, I, I think it's been Pittman. You know, the, the, the first rep of one-on-ones every day is Pittman against – Gilmore. Okay. And it's just a great start to like, all right, let's see who has it. Yesterday it was Gilmore just picture-perfect coverage and bats the ball away. Pittman got him back later in the session. Uh, so, you know, Pierce this is kind of a little bit of an off, but maybe we'll have a Twitter question, so actually I'll just save that for, for a Twitter question. That's fine. But I think with Gilmore, Chris, two questions about him coming into the year. Can he still play the game at the age of 32? And can he stay healthy? We're seven practices in. From what I've seen so far, he can still play the game. He can still play the game at a pretty good level. Do the Colts have a bunch of Jamar Chases and, you know, um, T. Higgins and, you know, a deep wideout court? Sure, they don't have that. But I like what I've seen so far from him. Now, can he stay healthy? Obviously, he's going to have to prove that over the course of a season. But so far, um, you know, I've always said I thought the Ngakwe edition was was bigger than Gilmore for me. I, I still agree, agree with that and, and think that's the case, but I maybe didn't give Gilmore enough credit um, during the offseason. So I like what I've seen so far. Anything else from practice? No, I think that's pretty much everything. Again, our notebooks, 1075thefan.com. I've got YouTube coverage every single day um, as well. It's like a two-minute YouTube video recap that I do from practice. Check that out. All right, Kevin. Yep. Let's jump to Twitter questions. Let's do it. Starting with Pumpkin Pastry. Great name. Oh, I love it. I'm hungry. He's been dialed into the Colts writers trying to update on everything going on at at Colts camp, you being one of them, obviously. 
I know it's early in pads, but just could you share what the tight ends are doing, especially in blocking, replacing Jack Doyle, the run game will be brutal. We talked about Ogletree. Do you see him filling that role? And what other department do you think the other two rookies need to work on? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be the biggest question, Chris, with this group. But, yeah, I, I don't want to act like the, they're catching all of a sudden as me sleeping great at night. But the important aspect is blocking. It, it's it's critical. Um, and we've seen three full padded days. And I thought that was something that Jack Doyle, Mo Cox, it's a really good combination of guys there. Chris Bowden, or uh, Frank Gregg, I think, has been pretty pleased with it so far. But it's something I don't think you can truly evaluate until you get into training practices, the games, things like that. Um, so, yeah. And just a side note also from him, since we also do talk about sports betting. Yeah. Michael Pittman Jr. on FanDuel has a season total of 1,025.5 yards receiving. He feels like it's free money on the over. What you? What do you say? Oh, hammer that. Bet everything you got. Everything you own. <laughs> I mean, as long as he stays healthy, Chris. I mean, what was he? Almost, almost 1,100 yards last year? Yeah, hammer. Hammer the over. All right, well, not to take a downturn, but Jake wants to know if you had to rank a bust potential from the top four rookies, would Jelani Woods be the first? Um, Yeah, that is harsh. I, you know, bust is such an aggressive word to use. I mean, like, if you are a bust, that means that you had high hopes to some level. Um, So, like, can a third-round pick be a bust? Or, or you know, like... You know, Frank Reich, he talked about Jelani Woods in a little bit more of a positive light yesterday than I thought. Granted, Reich certainly doesn't really rip anybody individually. But um, I, this is what I've seen so far from Woods. There, there's been a drop or two. There hasn't been a lot of targets to him. And he just hasn't made as maybe frequent production as Ogletree has, or even Kylan Granson. And Granson has had some drop zone in there as well. So I don't want to act like this has been historically bad and Jelani Woods just dropping everything and he's false starting every other snap. Like, it, it, it's not that. It's just if I'm making a tight end depth chart right now, he'd be fourth. And it'd be Moali Cox. It'd probably be Drew Ogletree for me or Kylan Granson. They're, they're, they're very close. And then I'd put um, uh, Woods fourth on that list. So if you're going to rank bus potential from the top four rookies, would Jelani Woods be first? I, yeah, I, I, I guess he'd be first, but you know it's just hard for me to like throw out that label with them. And I think there's a level of the Colts felt this when Jelani Woods came out. They were adamant that he would reach a high floor because he is intelligent and they feel like he's really wired the right way. There's probably a little bit of patience that's needed. You know, I know he has played tight end and play at much of Oklahoma State. He played at a lot of Virginia, of course. So I still think there is a jump. You know, people have said before, outside of quarterback, tight end's the hardest position to know in the NFL, making the jump from college. Yeah. So Ogletree has done a nice job. Jelani Woods hasn't. But I don't want to act like he, you know, looks like some bum out there either. Yeah. Two-parter from Matt. First one, he wants to know, have you heard anything about how many carries Jonathan Taylor might have this year from the Colts uh, coaching staff? No, I, I don't think you change it too much. I mean, you might have a few more pass plays thrown in there, but I, I, I don't think you change it too much. The, the guy's a unique workhorse, and, and you need to continue to use him as much as much as possible. 
And what's the possibility that, that Naheem Hines and Michael Pittman Jr. each have 100 catches this year? Ooh, that's a little rich. Um, yeah, I could see like one. Yeah, each of them at 100. If you said, like, could they combine for 200, that, that might, you know, 120 and 80. I mean, it's still a, a, mm-hmm. a big amount. Uh, yeah, I'd say pretty low percentage. I mean, 100 catches, that's that's a lot of catches. So, yeah, I'd put it at 15%. Our next one comes from Suarez. A lot of reporting on the defense looking extremely well during camp. Is this a result of upgrading the defense, or are our offensive weapons not being challenging enough for them and Frank Reich adding a new place to the offense or just the nature of the beginning of camp? Can I cop out and say a little bit of everything? I mean, the first six days in camp, you're installing new, new, like new day, you know, new new plays day in and day out. Um, then day seven started, let's repeat the stuff that we like, and that's kind of going to be how things will unfold the rest of the way. And I mentioned earlier, you can look at a one, you know, a couple of ways. Matt Ryan, he's new to the offense. Well, they don't have Darius Leonard and Gus Bradley's new over there on the defense. Health has been great, obviously, on both sides of the ball outside of Leonard. Um, it's I, I thought the defense would be better than the offense just in general, but it's clearly been the better unit in each of the three full pad of practices. And you know, the defense embraces physicality a little bit more. All those things. But, I mean, the quarterback can't get touched. Like, there's so many plays at practice that we chart Matt Ryan, and I'm thinking to myself, that was a sack. Right. And I, like, I like look at my colleagues. I'm like, are we really going to count that as a completion? I mean, DeForest Buckner literally stopped and, like, turned around. He walked back to the huddle, and then Matt Ryan completed a ball. Or Yannick Ngakwe just tapped him on the butt, and then – now, obviously – if Ngakwe tries to sack him, maybe he doesn't get him all the way to the ground. Maybe Ryan throws it away or something like that. But, you know, I, I'm still a little torn yeah, with the numbers that, that we put out there as well. Um, this one comes from Matt as well. Just wondering about Raymond. What do you think about him being the future left tackle of the Colts long term? You know, I think with Bernard Ryman, it's going to be this. Or Ryman, Chris. sorry. Yeah, trust me. It took me a while to get it as well. Um, handling power versus speed. You know, he's a tight end turned tackle, so he's got you know, the footwork background and the athleticism is there. So he should be able to handle speed rushers pretty well. It's the power. Like, I watched a one-on-one rep the other day where Quiddy Pay just literally took him back into the little red, uh, looks like handkerchief almost, that, that they act like is the quarterback. So I think that will be something. Obviously, I want to see the, the Lions, because just even after a couple days, like Bernard Ryman knows every move that, and Gakwe has, and mm-hmm. Banigou has, and you know Tyquan Lewis and those guys. But no, I, I've seen some things that I like. Um, you know, I again still want to see him extensively a little bit more. It's been Matt Pryor every left tackle starting rep. Um, I think that probably has more to do with Pryor than anything. But I don't think at this time last year, you know, Sam Tevy and Will Holden and those guys, Julian Davenport, they were Walmart greeters. Come on in, pass rush, hip right here, quarterback. If you, <laughs> he's wearing a, the wearing the red jersey. Yeah, he's right there with the red jersey. Go ahead and touch him. I have not seen that from the tackles this year. That's good. <laughs> it is very good. Very good to hear. Low low end theorist. Hey Kevin, hope all is well with you and the family, especially Rosie. Thank you, Paul. Or excuse me, thank you, low end theorist. Low end theorist means a lot. 
Um, all he's hearing is positivity out of the training camp so far. While that's great, is there anyone not performing as expected? And is there any potential surprise cuts that you can see in the future? Yeah, um, you know, again, the tight end group has been a little meh for me. Interior of the O-line, I think at times you worry about them holding up. I think the depth on the D-line is much better than the depth on the O-line when you watch those groups get after it. And I would say... I should pull up these numbers, Chris. Okay. Because I do find it interesting. The wide receivers have been really quiet in the team periods. So, again, I chart the 11-on-11 sessions. Right. And let me just pull this up. So, this is uh, just short of the halfway point of practice. Matt Ryan is 56 of 80 in the 11-on-11 periods. Mm -hmm. Michael Pittman's caught 14 of those balls. Mo Alley-Cox and Kylan Granson are second with eight each. So, Michael Pittman's nearly double. Anybody else on the team? If you look at the guys after that, so it starts with Pittman, then it goes tight end, tight end, Allie Cox, Granson. Then it goes running back, running back, Taylor Hines. Campbell's got five. You go to Drew Ogletree next with three. Alec Pierce, two. Doolin, two. Desmond Patman, one. I don't know how many teams around the NFL, Chris, your top five pass catchers in camp would be a wideout then two tight ends and two running backs. Like, yeah. not another wideout sprinkled in to the top five. Um, and the, just the fact that, again, and I asked George Bremer this question earlier today, and I, and I started with saying to George, George, I'm not saying Alec Pierce is a bust at all, but I just want you to see, or I guess share, what you think we've seen so far from Pierce in team sessions. Because he has caught two of Matt Ryan's 56 passes. He is 6th, 7th, 8th on the team in catches so far in camp. And then even when Nick Foles gets in with the second team, which Pierce takes a good amount of second team reps as well, same with Doolin. Doolin takes a ton of second team reps. I don't even think I've really noticed him too much in the second team. Is But I also don't notice him necessarily getting targeted too much. So is that a, he's not creating separation? Is that just a progression thing? Is this a week and a half into camp, and the next week and a half will look different. Right. These are all thoughts and questions kind of popping in my head. And basically, nothing is concrete on August 8th is what I'm getting at. I provide daily updates. Again, I try to throw in there if I think they're longer updates that, you know, okay, we've seen trends and things like that. But right now with Pierce, he's certainly been quiet in the team practices. I, you know, is performing not as expected? I I don't know. You know, there's been great moments in one-on-ones. There's been a couple seven-on-seven reps that I've liked, but in the 11-on-11, pretty quiet. Uh, surprise cut, I yeah, I got nobody. I, I'll do a 53-man roster later this week. I think Banigou makes it Okay. right now. Um, I do like the other Odangbo guy, 59. I know I'm not pronouncing that right. I'll uh, try and get Matt Taylor to instill that <laughs> into my brain later today, but I like him, 59. He's uh, He's shown a nice burst. We touched on this a little bit earlier um, in this question from Paul. Going back to the two running back system, do you think with Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, they send in three different play calls, one where Hines can go to the slot, one where maybe they do one side or the other? What do you yeah. think about that? And and does that take advantage of the defense? Well, it, yeah, it, you would create advantage with them. I mean, three play calls seems a bit intense. It seems like a bit much. I mean, I think you do. You can make some checks, and you can pr- maybe do some individual things with them, and kind of putting them in different spots on within the formation. 
as I mentioned earlier, you guys know my short yardage plea. You already heard it. Chris, I think this should be the dominant personnel grouping. You know, at the end of the year, it's like, you know, what personnel groupings out there the most? Is it three receivers? Is it two tight ends? I think Heinz and Taylor should be the most frequently used. Um, so that's something that I would like to see. This one comes from Colton. Who is the dark horse for 50-plus receptions? And he gives you two specific players, Kylan Granson and Ashton Doolin. <laughs> Those are the first two names that I thought about. Um, yeah, I mean, the other one, Chris, is like, okay, if Campbell goes down, you know, who would it be? Could Kiki Kuti step into that role? I, Desmond Patman's had a pretty quiet camp. I guess he'd be the fifth wideout. I don't know who the sixth wideout would be right now. Mike Strawn, again, still hasn't practiced. Um, but, yeah, Granson and Doolin would be the first two that I would I would think about. This one comes from Alec. He enjoyed your Chuck Pagano interview on your morning show with you and Query. Thank you. Appreciate that. Chuck was great for those that missed it. Kevin and Query is the podcast page with that. Emotional, talking about 2012 season. Really good. He wants to know, what would you rank the top three coaching jobs in franchise history? Bruce Arians in 2012 taking over for Mr. Pagano, unfortunately, when he was in the hospital. Frank Reich in 2019 after a 1-5 and start. Those are the first that come to mind. What do you think? Yeah, um, I, those are the ones. I mean, Mark Chabrota in 95 with them making that run. I mean, I'd be lying to you if I remember that. I was, you know, six years old and playing hide-and-go-seek <laughs> at Cherry Trail Elementary. But, yeah, I mean, how much credit should Dungy get? Was Dungy a huge difference maker in getting that group over the hump? Did his culture instill something? I mean, there's people out there like, they should have won more than one Super Bowl. But, you know, if what was the difference that Dungy made as well? I get that he had a ton of Hall of Famers. Um, if I go back any further, I'd be speaking out of, you know, probably out of turn, frankly. And That's it's fair. Not, not like they're great, they're great memories in the 80s to talk about. <laughs> um, you'd have to go back to the Baltimore days for that. But Marsha Broda, I think, with that, that AFC championship run. Yeah, I think the Mayflower, you know. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jim Irsay getting everybody on the Mayflower did an efficient process to leave Baltimore. <laughs> he deserves it. Uh, Chris, let's do two more. Okay, let's go with um, let's go with Garrett. Garrett. Given the quarterback on the depth chart, depth chart Matt Ryan and Nick Foles, how will the team prepare for athletic quarterbacks during the season? Is there a less mobile one and two quarterback combo in the NFL? <laughs> I, I would I would guess no. There's not. Uh, I don't know who's Matthew Stafford's backup, or I don't know who's Brady's back. Can Kyle Trask move? I would assume Ellinger. You know, he, he can move. It, it still is fun watching Ellinger kind of create, and it, I do feel like the crowd always ooze when he when he extends a play. So I I would assume it's not like you've got a ton of them on your on your schedule. To be fair, uh, but yeah, I would guess Ellinger. Okay, and then we will end with Trevor. Do you think Matt Ryan is an upgrade over one season that Rivers had? Yeah, it's a good one, Trevor. You know, I I, I thought Philip Rivers did a lot of good for this team in, in that one season, and Jonathan Taylor was not at the level that he's at now. Right. Um, granted, you could make the argument certainly the pass catching personnel was better for Rivers than Matt Ryan had, and he had Anthony Costanzo, which Matt Ryan doesn't have either. You know, the whole Matt Ryan thing I think is fascinating. You know, how it, it going from, and I've made this analogy before, going from the ex-boyfriend that just got expelled from high school for selling drugs and now you're all of a sudden your daughter's dating the valedictorian and the high school starting quarterback, 
Like, it seems like we're talking about it in that light, Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan. Is it that drastic? And I know Carson Wentz is struggling in Washington, but, like, if you're going to rank the top 32 quarterbacks in the NFL from last year, the gap from Ryan to Wentz couldn't have been more than a handful of spots, right? I mean, Matt Ryan was the 16th best quarterback in the league, and Wentz was the 21st best quarterback. I'm throwing out numbers. Right. I'd have to look into it more. Um, now, again, how much of that is Atlanta's environment? Mm-hmm. That is very fair to make the argument. But if right now Matt Ryan can give you what Phillip Rivers gave you in 2020, I would say, where do you sign up? Where do you sign up? That's where. That's what I would say about it. Um, yeah, I think on this podcast, especially on the YouTube comments and things, we kind of got slammed for praising how well Phillip Rivers – you know, his consistency yeah. was Yeah, he had there. that one bad game at Cleveland – other than that, I mean, yeah, he, I can't. He, he gave you good numbers. Yeah, I can't think of too many else. Uh, okay, we're up against it. I'm going to go up to Colts camp practice, day eight up there. Chris tried to give us up as soon as possible. Um, we got some a lot of Twitter questions we can unpack next Monday. Let, let's stick with Monday. Um, Monday's an off day for the Colts next week, so it'll be a little easier time with that. And uh, we could recap the first preseason game, which yeah. will be happening that Saturday. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. Talk to you next week in Kevin's Corn. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.